Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. All right, well, as you guys have already kind of heard, this service tonight is going to be a a little different than what we've uh, experienced so far this week. And, you know, as I was sitting back here listening to you guys worship and just kind of thinking and reflecting on all that's taken place, my mind went back 19 years when I was a counselor at, um, at Fort Roller. And I remember Wednesday nights really well because it was always a night that we knew was going to be a, an opportunity for us to, to just put the things that we'd learned for the week together and give a very clear presentation of the gospel or the good news that you guys have heard me mention over the last couple of days. And, and I remember Wednesday evenings, uh, me and my, one of my co-counselors, like we would, we would alternate um, praying for our campers every Wednesday night, you know, as, as we are sitting in the service and we're hearing them and seeing them hear the good news, some of them for the first time, you know, just praying and asking the Lord that He would open their eyes and that He would prepare the, the soil of our hearts and our minds to receive that message, that good news, and then He would follow that up with um, just making Himself so beautiful to those who heard that they just couldn't, couldn't do anything other than say, I, I want that for myself. Um, while you guys were standing outside waiting to come in, I, I was watching, now 19 years later, your counselors praying over the chairs that you guys are sitting in, praying a similar prayer to what I did 19 years ago. Just asking the Lord to open your hearts, your minds, to the truth of His Word. Because what I'm going to share with you guys tonight, this is the most important thing that I can share with any of you. And I hope I've really enjoyed being with y'all. And I know we still got like a day and a half left. But I just want to say I've really enjoyed being with you guys. And I hope that we have... Now, obviously, I don't know all of your names. I can't. There's a lot of you. Um, But I hope that in some way we have built a little bit of a a rapport so that as I stand here and speak to you tonight, I speak to you as friends, okay? I call you guys that when I see if I don't... Hey, friends, you know, that's, that's my heart, all right? We're friends here. And so from one friend to another, I want to share with you guys the most important thing in my life and the most important thing that I can think of to share with you all, okay? So give me like 20 minutes. Can we do that? Have I earned that from you guys? Okay. All right. Bear with me now. Wednesday night, we're talking about the cost of freedom. All right. We're, we're still, we're redefining that word from what we saw on Sunday night. We're, we're, we're refining, we're, we're reshaping it. Um, and, and tomorrow night, we're going to come away with kind of a new definition of, of what this is. But the question that we want to answer this evening is how can you and I, how can we know true freedom? And not only how can we know it, but, but what was the cost of that freedom that we can know? All right, Because freedom is bought with a price. You know, every Memorial Day, there's a saying that just... It resurfaces because Memorial's a day that we uh, we remember 
You know, we remember people who have served this country, who have um, you know, given their lives for this country. And the saying that often comes up is this, freedom isn't free. Exactly. There's a cost. There's a cost. And often the ones who um, are, are paying that cost, they're not the ones that are going to enjoy um, the fruit of, of what was paid. They're not going to be the ones that were, are going to enjoy the freedom that was won. You know, they, they're willingly going and serving and giving, just saying, you know, I'm doing this out of love for people. Um, and that's a very sobering picture. That's a, that's a very amazing picture. But let me bring us back to the, um, the place where, where we found ourselves last night, that we are bound up, all right? Um, spiritually, freedom is, <laughs> we're not there yet because it's not something that we can uh, accomplish or achieve on our own. Our very nature, our, our very inheritance that we talked about last night is sin. And the wages of sin is death. Yeah, some of you guys paid attention. Good on you. Um, and that's not a very good inheritance, is it? That's a terrible inheritance. Nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, man, I'm so pumped. Sin and death are mine. No, like we hear that and that's awful news. But I told you guys last night that the thing about bad news is it makes good news that much better. Okay? So I closed last night by sharing a, a verse with you guys from Romans chapter 5, uh, specifically verse 8 that says this, and I'm, I don't, it's not on the screen, I'm just sharing this with you to jog your memory. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's what I want us to explore this evening. This, this idea of, of Jesus dying for us as, um, gosh, to use a theological word, the propitiation uh, of our sin, okay? That's like the, the debt that's owed. He, he's giving his life to satisfy that debt before a holy God, all right? Now, I'm going to illustrate it for you. I'm not going to just share these deep theological truths and then leave you to figure them out because I think in pictures, all right? I have a very simple mind. And so I'm going to share some illustrations with you in the same way that Jesus shared them when he was trying to uh, get points across to people. So one more thing before we move into that. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page concerning who Jesus is, all right? Because you guys are going to hear me say the name of Jesus a lot tonight, all right? So just so that we're on the same page, some of you are going to be like, I've known who Jesus is since I was like two years old. Good for you. <laughs> there might be some people here this evening who have no idea who Jesus is. So let me just put us all on the same page. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Godhead. Um, According to John chapter 1, he's the agent of creation. Now that's pretty, that's pretty wild, all right? Uh, John chapter 1 puts Jesus there in eternity with God. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he speaks about, um, well, he identifies Jesus as, as being the Word that he speaks about and identifies him as the agent of creation. So he's also the seed of the woman that I mentioned uh, multiple times in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 
And so as part of God's plan to redeem us, all right, to um, satisfy that debt that we had because of our nature, our, our sin and our guilt, um, Jesus left the splendor of heaven, okay? The, the agent of creation became created, born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, all right? We celebrate that at Christmas time, right? You guys with me? Okay, you, you understand that. Um, he grew up like you and I, about the age of 30. He spent a few years ministering to religious people, ministering to broken people, ministering to hopeless people, and, uh, and just letting them know, even though the majority of these people didn't get it, letting them know that he was there to, to lay down his life for them. Now, again, it went over their heads, but that's what he, that's what he shared with them. So that's, that's who Jesus is in a nutshell. He's infinitely more than that, but for the sake of time. Um, okay, so now that you know who Jesus is, I want to let you guys know about a word. All right? Words are powerful, aren't they? All right, I, I'm going to give you a word tonight that you guys can throw around in your Christian circles and impress people, all right? Because sometimes as a pastor, I do that. I, I throw a word out there, and my congregation will be like, ooh, is that Greek? And I'm like, yes, it is. They're like, how did you know that? I'm like, there's lots of apps online that'll, you know, do this. I actually didn't pass Greek. So, you know, uh, I'm just, again, we're friends. I'm being transparent with you all. The word is this. It's a Hebrew word, and it is hesed, all right? Hesed. Now, I don't expect you guys to remember the definition there. I expect you, I desire that you remember how it's used here. Hesed is a word used all throughout the Old Testament to describe God's loving kindness, God's faithfulness, and God's steadfast love. And Michael Card, is a, he's a musician from the, a Christian musician from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, teaches the Bible. This is his definition of hesed. He said it's, when uh, one from whom you should expect nothing gives you everything. All right, and so this evening, in these next few minutes, I want to show you guys how Jesus is Hesed exemplified in the flesh. Okay? We all good. We know who Jesus is. We know what Hesed is. It's when someone from whom we should expect nothing gives us everything. Okay? All right, now, uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is going to share a couple of parables. Parables are stories that he uses to help, in some cases, people understand. In other cases, it's so that they won't understand. All right, there's three parables in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at two of them because for the sake of time, we just, we, that's all we can do. Jesus, as he's sharing these parables, is speaking to a, a, a wide group of people. He's speaking to religious people who hate him and want to kill him. He's speaking to broken people. He's speaking to um, farmers. He's speaking to tax collectors. He's speaking to sinners, okay? And the point of these parables, at the very heart of what Jesus is sharing when he shares these parables, two things that he wants these people to see. One, he wants these people to see what God's attitude is towards sinners, Okay? The second thing Jesus wants them to see is the value that God places on a soul. 
All right, and so those are the two things that I want to point out as we look through these parables. All right, Luke, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 3. It says, So he told this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Guys, trust me when I tell you, this parable is about us. All right? This parable is about us. Because in each one of those parables in Luke chapter 15, there's a condition behind what had been lost. Um, and in this first one, the parable of the lost sheep, the condition is this. The sheep is lost by its very nature. Right? Just like we're lost by our very nature. We are born shackled by sin and death, and we're lost with no ability to, to remedy that, with no ability to free ourselves. And I don't know if you guys have spent any time around sheep, but they are literally the dumbest animals on the planet. All right? And if you don't believe me, go find a neighbor or somebody who has sheep with permission and, and spend some time with their sheep. Um, it's not something that they outgrow. They're just, they're dumb. And so it's incredibly fitting that that's the animal that we, we you and I, are likened to most in the scriptures. In fact, I do have a video. I just, this is like 30 seconds long. I, I want to, don't take my word for it. I want to show you how dumb sheep are. Okay? Watch this. That, that, that's a sheep. Just, that's a sheep, okay? It's stuck. Oh, the sheep is free. Awesome. Oh. There's slow motion. Like it's not even a subtle fall. The sheep's going along and it's like, I'm going to yeet myself back into this crack. Can that sheep do anything to get itself out? No, it's stuck. <laughs> that kid's not that sheep's shepherd, but bless him for pulling the sheep out. But like that's the reason that we are constantly likened to sheep in the Scriptures, because, you know, I speak as a fool when I say this, but I know in my own heart and my own life, that I do things every day and God just has to be like, uh, why is he so ridiculous? But scripture tells me that God is patient and God is kind and gentle and he is long suffering. And, and, and Isaiah 53, 6, the prophet Isaiah also likens us to sheep. He says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And it's not because somebody had to teach us to go our own way. Nobody had to teach us how to be selfish. It is our very nature from our birth. We're lost. We're born into sin. The wages of sin is death. That means that we are lost. We're without hope and we are destined to 
perish. That is the bad news that we all need to hear, but it's not the end. Okay? It's not the end. Just like in this parable, Jesus wants us to see that someone came looking for us. What did, what did the shepherd do in that parable that we just read? He left 99 sheep that weren't lost. There in the pasture, he pursues the one that was lost. Not until it got too dark, not until he was tired, not until he was hungry. He pursued it until he found it. Y'all, Jesus is that good shepherd. You want to read about that? Go to John chapter 10. There's, there's a real lengthy passage that just portrays Jesus in that way. He is the good shepherd. And he doesn't give up on his sheep. And when he finds them, it says there, there's, he, re, he rejoices and then heaven rejoices. Jesus is our good shepherd. He's relentlessly pursuing us. And as I told you last night, he, he laid down his life for us as his sheep. Now you go forward a few verses in Luke chapter 15. We don't have time for the parable of the lost coin. Um, but the third parable is the parable of the lost son. And this parable is very different from the first parable. Um, because the, the sheep was lost by its very nature. The parable of the lost son, he's lost by choice. Okay? The son in this parable is lost by choice. This is the one who's actively rebelling against the father. Even after seeing the, the, the goodness and the love of the father, you know, they still think that they know better. How does God feel about that soul? How does God feel about that person? Does he throw up his hands and say, well, they knew better, so fooey on them uh, for their foolish decisions? Let's see. The, the, the parable is going to answer that question. Luke 15, verse 11 says, And he said, a man had two sons. All right, so if, if there were people in the crowd there listening to Jesus that did not resonate with the first two parables, any parent that was there is going to resonate with this one. A man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that falls to me. He says, I want my inheritance. When do you typically get an inheritance? When somebody dies, yeah. So essentially, he's going to his father and he's saying, you know, give me what's owed to me. He's a snotty little brat. That's what he is. I'd have spanked his rear end, but he's not my kid. Anyway, so the dad, in the parable, he, he divides his wealth. He divides the wealth between them. And it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together. He went on a journey in a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. I'm not going to go into details, but you guys have seen enough to understand and fill in whatever blank you want to fill in with loose living. This is where we bring the parable, or the parable brings us back to that initial discussion we had about freedom from Sunday night. You know, this young man has suddenly been freed from all the rules, he's been freed from all the guardrails. And we get to see him do what so many of us have done already in life, and that is crash and burn. <laughs> because we can't handle the freedom. And because freedom has consequences, which is what he's about to find out. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, 
And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving, him any, was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But here I am dying with hunger. So this is where the son realizes, man, I really had it good at my dad's house. He was good. I had it good. And he calls into question his, his decisions. And here's what I love about that verse. It says, he came to his, you guys are about to see me do some Judy chops on this fly. Um, he came to his senses and he snapped out of whatever trance it was that he was in that told him, you know, this lavish living and pursuing the lusts of the flesh were going to satisfy him. He comes to his senses. Now, some of you guys, you, you, you've believed this lie. You've bought what the world has been trying to sell you. Um, maybe you haven't got there yet, but let this parable just serve as a, a bit of a warning that, that that's where it will eventually take you, rock bottom. And rock bottom's not a good place to be. I've been there. It's not fun. The company is, is terrible. But I share that parable with you all this evening because some of you are here. And whether or not you've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord and you've wandered away, or maybe you've never trusted in Him at all, but you, you find yourself hearing this and saying to yourself, you know, I, I really don't think that God could love me because God doesn't know what I've done. And I hit you all with some knowledge. <laughs> God knows you better than you know yourself. Any of you know how many hairs are on your head? God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your thoughts, good and bad. He knows your hearts. He knows every intention that you have. And yet, what did Romans 5.8 say? God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows all of that about you. And yet, <laughs> at the right time, He said, all right, Jesus, you're going down. You're the good shepherd. You're going to lay down your life for the sheep. The son comes to his senses, and, and, and that gives us a, a, a picture that says, you know, perhaps there's a way out of this, all right? If there's a way out of this in the parable for the son, perhaps there's a way out of this for us. And if the parable had stopped at this point, the, the people that were there to judge everything that Jesus said, his critics, they would have been tickled to death, as we say in the South. They'd have been tickled to death. They would have said, man, that serves that little snot-nosed kid, right? You reap what you sow, right? Leave him there in the pig pen. That's what people who know nothing of grace and mercy would say. But God's full of grace and mercy, isn't He? Jesus wants this young man to find his way back to the Father's house where he belongs. He wants to put Hesed on display for those who are self-righteous and think that they can work their way into God's favor. And so this young man, he, he comes up with a plan and, and his attitude, it's changed dramatically from give me what is owed to me to you don't owe me anything. And not only do you not owe me anything, I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. That's how much his attitude has changed. He says in verse 18, 
I'll get up, I'll go to my father, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion for him. You think the father's riding a donkey around and just happens to see his son off in the distance? I think he's perched somewhere with a view, watching, waiting, hoping, praying. One day his son's going to come home. He runs to him. He embraces him. He hugs him. He kisses him. And his son says, Father, he's going to say what's on his mind. He's been practicing it the whole way. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And his father says to his slaves, quick, quickly, bring the best of everything that we have. Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, something with the the family crest that signals this is my son. Bring sandals and put them on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat. Let us celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. They began to celebrate. What did the son expect from the father? Nothing. Nothing. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. What did the father owe the son? He didn't owe him anything. He'd already given him his share of the inheritance. He could have wiped his hands and said, you got what you got, figure it out. And yet, what does the father give to the son? He gives him everything. (laughs) He gives Bring the best of everything. Put it on my son. After Jesus uses these parables to illustrate these precious truths to anyone who would listen, truths that, that, that help reveal the heart of God concerning the value of a soul, Jesus doesn't just teach them that. He, he then goes on and he illustrates it by laying his life down. For you and for me. I read to you guys last night out of Romans 5. Let me wrap up by reading you out of Romans 6. Romans 6, starting in verse 20, says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys and gals, what should we expect from God? Nothing. 
nothing. Because every day of our lives, we sin, we rebel. But what has He What has he given us? He's given us everything. He's given us the best that heaven had to give. His son, Jesus. Jesus was hesed on display. And he has made it to where we can come to him and, and we ought to come to him expecting nothing. And yet he freely gives us Everything in the form of his son, Jesus. And y'all, let me say, the work for this has already been done. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross. um, And when the time was right, he dismissed his spirit. He was buried. A few days later, he rose victorious over sin and death. And now he extends that victory to you. He offers you the gift of salvation through the price that he has paid with his very life. And praise God, it's not something that you get through a a formula or an equation. I'm terrible at math. You mix numbers and letters, I'm toast. I can't do that. It's not a formula. It's not an equation. It's a gift freely given to you. All you have to do is appropriate it for yourself. Some of you guys are like, why are you using big words like appropriate? I don't know what that means. It means that a gift has been extended to you, but if you don't take that gift for yourself, do you have it? No. If I told one of you to look under your seat and if you had a special thing, then there's a pair of AirPods for you in the office. If that was you and you got that and you were like, oh man, I, I, they're AirPods, and I'd be like, yeah. But if you don't go get them, are they yours? No. You haven't appropriated that gift for yourself. Friends, it's that easy that easy. Gift has been given. You just have to appropriate it for yourself. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Be saved. Here's what we're going to do, guys, now that I've kind of shared those things with you. We want to give you guys an opportunity to think on these things for a couple minutes. And so what we're going to ask you to do is quietly here in just a second when I dismiss you, you're going to go out through the double doors here. You're going to find a spot by yourself, not with someone that's going to bother you or distract you, by yourself out here in the field. And you're just going to think on these things. And I would encourage you to pray on these things. And if you're not a praying person, you've never prayed before in your life. Let me tell you something. It's also not rocket science. You talk to God like you're talking to me, except instead of calling him cornbread, you call him God or father or whatever your heart. I mean, he's all of those things. And if you're sitting here this this evening and you feel something heavy waiting on your heart, Uh, you know, maybe that's conviction. Maybe that's God saying, I'm speaking to you through my word this evening. And maybe he's calling you to himself. Your counselors are here to talk you through some of those things. But at the same time, if in the quiet of your heart, as you're out there in the field, you say, 
man, the light's gone off and, and this is real to me and I understand the implications of everything we've talked about this week. You can bow your head before him and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need saving. Come into my life. Forgive me. He'll do it. Just like that. You know, there was somebody crucified next to him that when they went up on the cross was making fun of him. And a little while later, something changed in that guy's heart. And he said, Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, okay, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't, know, he didn't know anything other than that, man, this guy must be who he says he is. Right? I'm going to pray for you, then we're going to dismiss you out. And, and listen, after you've had some time to think on this, to, to chew on this, to marinate on this, we're going to call you back in. We're going to conclude our service with one more song, and then we'll move on, okay? But I just encourage you, if you have questions, hit up your counselor. I'll be out there moving around. If you've got questions for me, I'm glad to talk with you, okay? Let's bow. Father, we thank you uh, this evening for your word and for the truth of it and for the encouragement that it offers. Lord, uh, I, I hope that each and every heart here truly understands the gravity of the situation that we're in, um, that without you, without the saving blood of, of your son, Jesus Christ, that we are dead in our sins and our transgressions, and there's no way for us to get out of that. Lord, but we thank you for the, the, the testimony of your word that tells us that at the right time, Jesus came and laid down his life as a ransom, as a payment to satisfy our debt before you. Lord, would you just make that beautiful to the heart of each and every person here this evening that hears that. Lord, would you draw them to yourself as only you can do? And may tonight be the night that they move from death to life. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.